Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. Joining you as always, Mr. Mark Hamilton and Mr. Mark Daly. My goodness, what a day, what a weekend. This is was an extraordinary Grand Prix. It was surreal, chaotic, absurd, exciting, thrilling. I don't know that I've ever seen an event quite like this. And you can reflect back on Canada in 2011. Obviously, Germany in 2019 is still fairly fresh in our memory. But I don't think I've ever seen anything that was quite as unpredictable as this. And last week, you and I hinted that there could be a little bit of moisture. And we talked about the fact that we haven't seen any wet races this year. And I think for a lot of the folks that are new to Formula One, what we've seen this year, well, not necessarily predictable. Predictable because we've had some unpredictable outcomes. A lot of that, what we've seen has been pretty standard routine fare. This weekend was completely different. So to recap quickly, Hamilton storms through qualifying, puts in an absolutely stellar performance. Coming out of qualifying, the Red Bull team determined that the power unit that was in Max Verstappen's car, the power unit that was carried over from that crash in Silverstone, probably wasn't adequate. It looked like it was developing a problem. They swap out the power unit. We go to the race today, Sunday, Hungary, just outside of Budapest, 20 kilometers to the northeast of the city. We have a rain shower within an hour of the start of the Grand Prix. All the cars previously had been sl- had been fitted with their slicks. They then get put on the intermediates. We go out to start the race. Bottas has a ton of wheel spin off the line. He's quickly passed on the sides by Lando Norris, Max Verstappen. They go into the front, cor- front corner. Hamilton had a fantastic start. He's away. Unfortunately, Bottas locks up behind Lando. Rear ends Lando, destroys his race. They end up collecting Max Verstappen. They end up collecting Sergio Perez. On the meantime, on the inside of the corner, Lance, Lance Stroll, the Canadian driver for Aston Martin, does the exact same thing, carries too much speed, tries to correct, locks up his wheels, goes into the side of Charles Leclerc, ends his race. So within seconds of the start of this race, Bottas is out, Stroll is out. We quickly lose uh, Bottas, Lando, Prez. It was it was a disaster. It was chaos, but it, it set up an absolutely exciting Grand Prix with an outcome that I don't think any of us could ever have expected. I was thrilled. I was excited. I was jolted out of bed because, you know, blurry eyes, <laughs> six in the morning. I'm watching on my phone, quickly make my way downstairs, boot it up on the 65-inch Sony, start the race over just because I had to re- revisit the entire thing because I wasn't sure if it was real or if I was dreaming it. But the best part was even after the restart, which we'll talk about, the race was a thriller right until the end. And rarely can we say that mm-hmm. about modern Grand Prix. And if this is a taste, if this is a preview of what we can start to expect in 2022 and beyond, which is close, tight racing and and passing, then I'm all for it. I'm all in. My friend, you're on vacation. 
thank you so much for making the effort to join. I know it was a challenge to get you on the line tonight, but thank you for joining. Your thoughts, your impressions after the Hungarian Grand Prix? Well, well, I, I mean, it was so unpredictable, right? And just right from the beginning, because there was something that uh, was unexpected. I was watching on the F1 TV app, which has been my preferred go-to this season, away from the the usual TSN feed that we get here in Canada, which is Sky Sports anyways, but I've just become like a, a real you know, fan of the F1 TV app and the ability to uh, toggle through different cameras and all those, you know, different things, which is really, really cool. Anyways, we didn't have Crofty. We didn't have Nico Rosberg doing the commentary. It was the local English feed. And I swore they were commentating, maybe just going over, making their shopping list. There was no emotion, no excitement in their voices whatsoever. When we saw this, what would Charles Leclerc so rightly called bowling right. in that first right. uh, couple right. of corners? <laughs> but it was it was something else. Now I just have a quick kind of question: Is anybody keeping a running tab now of how many you know how much money Mercedes has destroyed in opponents' cars over the past uh, two races? We know it was one point eight million for Max. Now we have to take into account the damage done to Lando's car, the damage done to Valtteri's car, the uh, the damage done to Perez's car, and also to Max's car, who was a victim uh, of all that. I mean, obviously, it would be a little bit too, too far to say, you know, stretch into the realms or dip our toes into the realms of the more conspiratorial theories out there, but intentional or unintentional, whatever it is, they have really, through their, what, what do you want to call it, uh, um, bumper car <laughs> racing the past uh, two races in Hungary and Great Britain, taken out a lot of people. And you, you can understand why Red Bull will be just throwing their arms up in the air in exasperation. But it was really just, it was unreal just the way that that race started. And I couldn't help but think in, in retrospect, uh, considering how quickly the track dried out, and I'm by no means an expert or have a real depth of knowledge when it comes to any of the procedural parts of Formula One rules and regulations. But, and I know that the track will dry out, obviously, once the cars get on it. But it was also like 26 degrees Celsius at the start of the race. And even though that was a rain shower, it's a pretty warm time of year for that part of the world. I couldn't help but think that if they maybe had delayed that race start by 20 or even 30 minutes, that that track naturally would have dried up. So I don't know what sort of considerations they have to keep there. But I mean, apart from Antonio Giovinazzi, who died into the, dived into the pits to go full wets at the end of that formation lap, Everybody went on to enters. Everybody except Antonio made the the wrong call. And it was just absolute chaos. And it didn't really take too long for them to to call that, uh, you know, flag that session, bring out the Reds and rightly bring everybody back and clear up the you know, debris from everywhere. And then just to give it a few minutes, well, more than a few minutes until they did the restart. And then that was incredible in and of itself. It reminded me very much of uh, Indy in 2005. However, there were six cars starting that race and that was for a completely different uh, reason, but that was bizarre watching Lewis race away by himself when the other remaining cars, which I guess would have been about 16 at the time when you subtract well, 15, I guess, at the time, if you subtract guys like Perez and Stroll and and Leclerc, Lando, etc. And uh, the, the rest of them all dived into the pits at the end of that second formation lap and leaving Lewis to go around. And then after he went in after a couple of laps to, to change tires, <laughs> he quickly dropped down to the, 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 the back of the race order. It was just 
it was incredible. It was just, um, I couldn't help but thinking that it was a blunder from the Mercedes at pit wall. I mean, ultimately he was redeemed. I mean, ultimately he ended up, um, you know, finishing obviously on the podium. But again, what do we talk about on Thursday night, Mark? But just how crucial it is to to qualify well here in Hungary. And ultimately, I think that just being at the front, being on pole is what really helped keep Lewis Hamilton out of trouble and and avoid all that mayhem at the, the beginning because Max getting collected in that damaged his barge boards, damaged his floor. And I mean, salvaging a point, that might be a crucial point come the end of the year, but it's it, it was just bizarre. I, I've never yeah. seen anything like it. You're absolutely right. And that moment where Lewis was starting on the grid by himself to me was surreal. And I quickly <laughs> screenshotted it and I posted it on the Twitter feed because yet you you draw that great parallel to the 2005 US Grand Prix where there were six cars. And again, for very different reasons and no other cars ended up joining that Grand Prix. And of course, in this case, all the other cars did join. But as, as Lewis and the rest of the field were going around on the formation lap, you quickly got a sense of how dry that track was. And I yeah. know in the post-race comments, Nicholas Latifi was talking about the fact that he was racing, radioing back that the bulk of the track was bone dry in the 30 minutes that it took to clear up that debris, get everyone into the pits under the red flag, do as many repairs as possible for the cars that were impacted by contact. That track had dried out. And you make a great point that not only was it 26 degrees, but it was really windy. And if it's mm-hmm. warm and it's windy, that moisture is going to get wicked off the surface very, very quickly. And that's exactly what happens. And you're absolutely right. Total Wolf and the entire Mercedes team are absolutely adamant, ultimately, that the decision that they made not to bring Lewis in after the formation lap to switch in t- onto slick tires was the right decision. And he says, I think it was 100% the right decision. And I stand by it. He says, at the end, you need to make the call out there and judge whether it's dry enough or not. I thought that within one lap, it couldn't possibly drive like it did. And at the end, you have to take it on the chin that it was the wrong outcome. But the decision was right. We calculated that we would have come out sixth with the train of cars going to the pits. Now you're more clever, but it is what it is. And I think for all of us sitting at home, it was incredibly obvious that it was the wrong decision. We could see the <laughs> helicopter views. We could see the entirety of the track. We don't necessarily know what the teams knew when they were in the pits under that yeah. red flag, but ultimately Lewis stands by himself. He's got to go in. He's got to pit right away, get onto those slicks. And at that point he's at the back of the field and he has to fight through that entire train of traffic. And of course we talked about this in the past as well. And you alluded it to it last week that sometimes Hungary can be a procession. It's an old school track. It's a pre nineties track. It's very, very, very tight. It's very difficult to overtake. And ultimately, Hamilton had to do some serious work today to put himself in a position where he could claim as many points as he could and all the credit to him. But I think we would be remiss as well. We haven't even spoken to the race winner, the winner of this Grand Prix. But I do have to say that it was a heartbreaking race, less so for the Red Bull family and for Helmet and for Christian Horner. But it was heartbreaking for Max. It was heartbreaking, obviously, for Sergio Perez that once again, they get caught up in some tremendous bad luck. And looking back at the race classifications earlier this season, you look at Red Bull. They had a stellar start to the season right through the Austrian Grand Prix. In the first nine races, they had a car finishing either first or second. Mm-hmm. In the first nine races, Max himself had finished first or second in eight of those first nine 
Grand Prix, and then all of a sudden they hit a bit of bad luck. And it just happens to coincide with a period of time where Mercedes seems to have developed some significant pace. Red Bull seems to have lost some top line speed, but whatever those aero changes were that Mercedes introduced at Silverstone, it seems to be making a world of difference, but unfortunately just seems to coincide with a period where Red Bull is encountering some really, really tragic bad luck. But I felt terrible for Max. I felt terrible for Perez. I think Max deserves all the credit in the world. He went into the pits, the team, whatever they could do, did whatever they could do to repair that barge board, the floor. And of course, when your floor is damaged, you're not driving air to that rear wing. You don't Mm -hmm. have the downforce that you normally have. You can't carry speed into the corners. But ultimately, credit to Max for putting in a mega effort despite the damage. And I think he recognizes that every point matters. But ultimately, do you want to speak or allude to the Grand Prix winner? Or should we tease that and come back after a break? Well, yeah, we'll, we'll do that in a second. But I was just going to say you made a good point just about the uh, the way that uh, things have gone south for Red Bull in recent races. And they've turned around somewhat to, for, for Mercedes. But here we are now going into the summer break. And I think if you're Red Bull, you're, you're, you're happy now that you have three weeks now to reset so that this break is coming at exactly the perfect moment. Whereas Absolutely. Mercedes, who are just resurgent in the past couple of weeks, might be thinking, OK, well, this is a bit of unfortunate timing, considering now we've got a bit of momentum coming out of the last last two two races or so but now we like i say we have these uh, three weeks going into the summer break everybody we're going to have the shutdown during that time everybody's going to walk away everybody's going to have their enjoy their summer holiday then we come back to belgium in three weeks and i think it's going to set up for a very very intriguing race at spa francorchamps in in three three and a half weeks time or whatever it is now and then but we have to obviously say what the or tell everybody what the uh, the final race classification is or for those of you go that didn't it, watch and now if you saw this and you didn't watch the race you might have been wondering <laughs> if you'd w- woken F1 up and it context. was april 1st but um, the, the race classification top 10 esteban akoff for alpine winning his first grand prix winning his first race for the team the rebranded uh, renault rebranded alpine team second was sebastian vettel for aston martin who was looking quite pacey and really put esteban on a a lot of, under a lot of pressure. Now there's an asterisk beside Vettel because he was subsequently uh, disqualified for a fuel abnormality. He finished the race with only 300 milliliters or 0.3 of a liter fuel in the car, which is less than the one liter minimum that is required in the regulations. So they, uh, they that is uh, Aston Martin, are going to appeal that. So I don't know how they how that will come off. So just to put it in context, so the amount of fuel he left in the, the back of his car was. Exactly. The size of a can of soda. So not, not a lot. So it's obviously got to be about three and a half times that, uh, that, that minimum. So then uh, behind uh, Hamilton, you had, uh, sorry, behind Vettel, you had Hamilton. Fourth was Sainz. Fifth was uh, Alonso. Sixth was Gasly. Seventh was Tsunoda. So good to see double point finishes for both the Alpha Tauris. And then I guess the feel good story of the weekend. Well, then one of the other ones, if you're not a fan of Alpine, the two Williams car, Nick Latifi and George Russell coming home ninth and 10th, sorry, eighth and ninth, Max Verstappen rounding out the top 10. And then I guess we should say that, um, well, I, I guess the de facto P10 would be Kimi Raikkonen in the Alfa Romeo. So I guess this really depends on Sebastian Vettel's appeal, but I don't know how they could maybe switch, get that to overturned. I don't see any way around that. I mean, we're not talking that he's 10 milliliters or 20 milliliters under the minimum. <laughs> I mean, he's seven, 700 millimeters under the one, uh, one liter minimum. So that uh, seems uh, a, a bit much of a big ask, but that, that was really disappointing. I mean, as most people know that you and I have really wanted to see a lot uh, from Aston Martin this year, not just from Sebastian, 
Sebastian, but also from from Lance and the fact that the, this team has been rebranded and all the, the the obvious Canadian connection both on and off the track. So obviously uh, disappointing, but. And just before we go into the break here, and I guess this will tease the conversation on the other side, when you look at the Drivers' Championship, this is where it starts to get uh, pretty interesting. On the top of the constructors, it is now no longer Red Bull, who have been up there for several weeks. Now is now Mercedes leading the constructors with 300 points. Red Bull 10 points behind with 290. McLaren 163. And then again, getting very interesting. Now Ferrari, only three points behind McLaren in the Constructors' Championship. And this is what we said on Thursday night guys keep an eye on this battle between mercedes sorry mclaren and ferrari and the constructors because it is now razor thin and then alpine with the the very impressive results this afternoon have leapfrogged up quite a bit they are now fifth in the constructors championship with 75 now going over to the drivers lewis hamilton leapfrogging max verstappen 192 points max second with 186 lando norris still in third with 113 Valtteri Bottas, 108. Sergio Perez, 104. And none of those uh, uh, drivers scored any points today. Neither did uh, Charles Leclerc, who is in six with 80 points. And then Carlos Sainz is now also joint uh, on points for, well, he's actually seventh. Uh, Charles uh, leading, I guess, on the tiebreaker with the uh, balance of results. But uh, both the Ferrari drivers, 80 points each. Anyways, let's take a quick break here. We'll come back on the other side. And there's still plenty of juicy things to talk about. We'll do that in just a moment. So guys, don't go away. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, welcome back to the show. And just a little note, no live stream tonight or probably for the next uh, couple of weeks. So while we also enjoy our summer break, lots of good content uh, coming your way. But unfortunately, live stream will be uh, postponed just for a couple of weeks. But uh, we'll be back at the end of the month when we get back to racing at Spa Francorchamps. Okay, Mark, we've talked about some of the, I I guess, the high points and the low points, but plenty of news to talk about. Where do you want to go next? You know what? So your timing, your transition is perfect. So we have some breaking news right now. So 
According to uh, a release that just came out right now, a report from Jamie Woodhouse at PlanetF1.com, who typically isn't a, a resource that I would lean into heavily for breaking Formula One news, Vettel has provisionally been reinstated to P2 pending mm. an appeal. So here's okay. what it sounds like happened. It sounds like the FIA, as they are apt to do, attempted to extract a liter of fuel from his car at the conclusion of the race. Ultimately, they weren't able to do it. And of course, there are suspicions that the car had run out of fuel, which is why Sebastian was asked to stop the car on the side of the track following the conclusion of the race rather than bring it into Park Ferme. Ultimately, the Aston Martin team is arguing that he had been asked to pull the car over, possibly due to a fuel pump issue. So the Aston Martin team Otmar Snafnauer is arguing that their data indicates that there should be roughly 1.4 liters of fuel in that fuel tank. Now, the Aston Martin team were given the opportunity to help extract to pump that fuel out. They weren't successfully able to do it. They did petition the result or the uh, the ruling of the stewards. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, and this is something that I've also never heard of before, the entire car is being transported to the FIA complex in France immediately following the conclusion of the Grand Prix weekend. So the FIA is actually taking the entire car plus the power unit, and they're going to be recruiting a slew of the Aston Martin mechanics to help conclude this investigation in France over the summer break. So I don't think they would typically ever confiscate a car as part of an investigation. But again, given the fact that we're going into a four-week break, they clearly have an opportunity to. But as of this exact moment, he has been provisionally reinstated to P2. So curiously right now, if you go to the F1 website, it is actually showing the constructors and the driver's standings inclusive of Vettel's 18 points and it subtracts those 18 points from the rest of the field but Wikipedia, ESPN, Planet F1, all of these other sites, motorsport.com etc, they are showing the standings the constructors and the driver standings excluding Vettel's finish but uh, I guess it's going to be interesting to know so as of right now it's kind of up in the air. Yeah well I can confirm just going over to motorsport.com they're what uh, Otmar Safnauer team principal of Aston Martin told uh, the um, uh, motorsport.com is quote I can confirm and intend to appeal so once we learn more if then we have grounds we will appeal and if not we'll drop it but we have 96 hours by all of our calculations there should be 1.44 liters of fuel left in the car after the 300 milliliter sample that was taken, end quote. So there you go. They actually believe that there was, you know, 1.74 liters of fuel in the car. So that is uh, very, very interesting. And sure, why not? I mean, uh, that, that is a big result to let slip through your fingers if you're Aston Martin and you have absolutely uh, nothing to lose. I mean, you're going to be disqualified right. if the, uh, the the penalty in the DQ stands. And, uh, you know, you don't have to worry about it getting this uh, car transported to another uh, track for, say, a race uh, next weekend. Absolutely. Absolutely nothing to lose. So keep your eyes on the news over the next uh, couple of days because uh, this should be an, an interesting one and obviously has championship implications should Vettel be fully reinstated and everybody shift back down. So that is very, very interesting uh, to, to see. So double confirmed from a couple of different uh, websites. But uh, the, the other thing, and I was being really sarcastic about this uh, during the race because I, I know I sent you a, a message while I was watching. And after the precedent that we saw 
in Great Britain at Silverstone a couple of weeks ago when Lewis Hamilton shunted or punted Max Verstappen off the, the track at Cops Corner into the gravel. Today, after the unsafe release of Kimi Raikkonen from the Alfa Romeo pits, and uh, by doing so, hitting the front uh, right side of uh, Nikita Mazepin's car, thereby breaking his suspension and ending his race, Kimi be given a 10-second penalty. The cynic in me couldn't help but think, does Haas appeal this? Do they reenact this whole scenario by getting either Nikita or Mick Schumacher to get back into the cars and to reenact this like a, in real life in a filming day session? <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't, because I mean, we talked about it uh, last week, this whole appeal and all, a lot of the jokes and, uh, you know, and serious comments that we made notwithstanding. Uh, I, I just, uh, I mean, it's it's obviously not going to happen, but part of me couldn't help but wonder that wouldn't something be said otherwise? Well, you know, he ended my race. It was only a 10 second penalty. Is that really fair? But yeah, let's not go down that rabbit hole halfway. No. So I think, I think at this point, and we've got so much juicy stuff to get to tonight and only so much time. I feel like we absolutely deserve to give Esteban Ocon his flowers for his performance this weekend. This is a guy that's been in Formula One. He's been out of Formula One. He rose through the Mercedes Academy. I know a lot of people were talking to Total Wolf because he was a big part of his development early in his career, helped identify him in the lower formulas, helped funded his development. Ultimately, he came into Formula One back in... Oh my goodness. I think, I think around 2016, he had, I think he finished the back half of the season with Manor, moved over to Force India, had a stellar 2017, slightly choppy 2018, but still put in a ton of points finishes. Yep. 2019, of course, he was out of the sport after Lawrence Stroll bought Force India and it was rebranded Racing Point. He was displaced by Lance Stroll. So he sat out 2019, spent the entire year in the Mercedes team in the garage no doubt learned a lot. And in 2020, when Rena was going through the initial stages of their rebranding and rejuvenation, and they were starting to bring in some new leadership, he was a perfect fit for that team being a French driver. Last year, his season start finished on a real high. He had points finishes in his last three races. He finished second in Sahir. And then for him to go out today and be in a position where after that restart, he comes out, he's in the lead early, he fights off, and to be fair, there wasn't ever kind of an aggressive effort by by Sebastian Vettel, but Sebastian Vettel was clearly in the faster car today. But the fact that he basically led the race from the fourth lap, fifth lap onwards, and he didn't step a foot wrong, he didn't carry too much speed into a corner, he didn't lock up, he didn't make a mistake, and both he and the team were under pressure that they've no doubt not felt in a very long time. The last time that the Endstone team... so. Of course, prior to being Alpine, it was Renault, and before mm-hmm. Renault, it was Lotus, and before Lotus, it was Renault. But the last race victory from this team was 2013 in Australia, a race that was won by Kimi Raikkonen. And with the exception of that second place in Sahir last year and a couple of podium finishes by Daniel Ricciardo last season, this team has really underperformed since being rebranded as a works reno team so for the endstone team that that tiny factory outside of chipping norton in the hinterland of the power valley in the uk to esteban Ocon, and of course we couldn't we couldn't shower praise on esteban Ocon without acknowledging the absolutely phenomenal battle that fernando alonso engaged in with lewis hamilton for 10 laps to yep. hold him back and and give give 
Esteban the runway to win this race, but ultimately what a phenomenal weekend, not only for Esteban Ocon and for Alonso, but for that team. And just in the spirit of talking about Fernando Alonso, he put in a brilliant performance at Silverstone. And we talked about the fact that he's now leaning into his own instincts, his own feel, as opposed to listening to technical direction from the team. Mm -hmm. But this was also his best finish since I think he finished, I think fourth in Malaysia back in 2014. So great performance for Fernando Alonso as well. Yeah, actually that battle they had with uh, Lewis Hamilton was, uh, was really, really good. And I thought that it was uh, really exciting to, to, to watch that, but also to get the inside uh, or insight from uh, Nico Rosberg, who was doing the, uh, the, the color commentary. It was a bit funny because oh, as I call. mentioned, like they, they didn't have the, the sky feed on the English um, uh, feed on, uh, on the F1 TV app uh, to start in the race. It came back in a little later on. I was, uh, I flipped over to listen to Olaf Moll on the Dutch feed. And then um, I, I tried listening a little bit uh, later on, and I thought it was really great, just to, because you can really tell that when when Rosberg is talking, that you really get the feeling that he's not watching from outside the cockpit in the commentary box. But this is a guy that is, is actually calling what he's seeing by sitting in the car and talking about you know actually living that lap and what's going on. And I thought it was really interesting too, because when he was talking about um, that uh, that battle, if you want to call it that, between uh, Ocon and uh, Vettel. I thought it was really interesting how he was saying that it was such a different uh, position to be uh, leading the race rather than being in second place and how that uh, that that all the pressure really was on Alcon because uh, just the way that you have to d- defend, right. how you have to think when you're out front and how it's a little bit easier to be the following car and kind of really get in really get into your opponent's head and really learn how they're 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 driving and how they're going around the track and how you're able to you're able to take more risks because if you try to make a, a move and it doesn't stick then so what you drop back maybe you lose uh, you know a couple of seconds or something like that but if you're actually one of the uh, cars that is uh you know, you're, you're a faster car as it really appeared that Vettel was uh, today that, you know, you, you'll be back on him and say, you know, a couple of corners or a couple of laps. So right. it's, it's not really a big loss, say on a track uh, like Hungary, but I mean, I thought that uh, Esteban Ancon did a great job out front there, but I mean, l- like you so rightly suggested or, or mentioned that you really have to give a huge assist to Fernando Alonso. And I mean, he wasn't, I mean, I guess he, you could say he was running interference by fighting with um, Hamilton for, for all those laps, but, he wasn't going to make it easy for Hamilton to pass regardless if his teammate was leading the race or not. I mean, there's a lot of personal history there, despite the fact that they, they both say they have a lot of respect for each other, yada, yada, yada. But it was really you know fun to watch those two really scrapping it out because, I mean, they're, they're both veteran drivers in their own rights. I mean, and Fernando, for me, I think has uh, turned into be a bit of a pleasant surprise, I guess you could say, because, I mean, you could tell that it was taking him a while to figure out that car over the first half dozen races or so, but I guess maybe going back to about maybe France or thereabouts, it seemed to like he was really starting to come into his own. And uh, I, I think he'd even said at the time that uh, he was needing less direction from the engineers and from the pit wall and stuff like that and was just feeling a lot more intuitive in the cockpit. And I think it's really showed over the past uh, several Grand Prix now. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think you you got to be really excited now if you're within that team. And I guess today is a little bit kind of similar 
similar to Italy last year, what with all the, the, the stoppages we had in that race. And then at the end, you had uh, Sainz and Gasly scrapping it out for the race win. And ultimately, uh, Gasly uh, ended up winning that one, which was a, which is a feel-good moment of 2020. But certainly, uh, th- this is one of those races that uh, we'll, 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 pardon me, we'll remember from 2021. Absolutely. For me, this was an important race. In a lot of senses, it was a as sad as it was to see Max go out the way he did, because I think we all want to see a competitive championship. As sad as it was to see Perez out and Lando and Charles Leclerc and all of this young talent out so early. Mm-hmm. It was still in so many ways a feel-good race. It was a feel-good weekend because, and I talked about this a little bit on one of the last podcasts, coming out of the Grand Prix at Silverstone on that Sunday, Lewis had put in a great drive. He'd won a Grand Prix. He was back in the championship. I felt terrible. I felt sick to my stomach. I didn't like the way the weekend had had come together. I, I didn't like the outpouring of negativity after that contact. I don't like the fact that we spent two weeks litigating something that to so many of us just seemed to be so obviously a Hamilton error. It seemed to be a racing incident. This mm-hmm. weekend was something of a fresh start and as terrible as yeah. it was for those drivers that I mentioned, and I feel terrible for them. I feel terrible for their teams. Ultimately to see Esteban Ocon win a Grand Prix when I don't think any of us had that on our radar to see Fernando Alonso put in a great performance. And just on the Fernando piece as well, when he left Formula One at the end of 2018, I I, I reflected back on his title in 05 and 06 and the great things he did with with the Ferrari team, but between the toxicity of that 07 season and the negativity that surrounded the entire experiment with McLaren and Honda, I felt like maybe it was the right time for him to leave Formula One. I feel like he's done a really great job rebuilding the identity of Fernando Alonso. And while he didn't leave Formula One on a high note in 2018, mm-hmm. I feel like he's rebuilding that character and his identity. And, and I'm excited about it. And I was really happy to see that performance day. That battle with Hamilton was fantastic. But even the comments after race and people were talking to him about why he was so aggressively defending against Hamilton. And you're right. Like he was going to, regardless of whether, whether it was Esteban Ocon at the front, I think to be honest, and he alluded to this in some of the interviews as well. He still believed he had a shot at the win, but he also made a comment that one of the reasons he was defending against Hamilton so aggressively was he wanted to do it for, for Max, which I thought was a really interesting comment. And of course, ultimately after 10 laps of being under intense pressure from Hamilton in a car, by the way, that at that point was lapping, four seconds faster than any other car in the mm-hmm. race. Ultimately, you know, after 10 laps, you're going to make a mistake and Hamilton got through, but I thought that was a, a phenomenal performance. And I know we jump around a bit, but I have to go back to Nico. I was very, very skeptical of having Nico Rosberg in the booth. You're not a fan. I know that. <laughs> qualifying. No, I, I'm not at all. And, you know, one of my friend, good friends and I were messaging back and forth on WhatsApp all week and we we're so apprehensive about this. And I was looking for reasons to qual- criticize him during practice and qualifying, but I like some of his insights. And then by the time we got to the race weekend, uh, my buddy messaged me and he said, Rosberg hasn't been horrible. And that is like the highest possible (laughs) praise from my buddy regarding Nico's performance. But I loved it. And I think the best way to kind of put this into context for American viewers is having Nico in the booth is very much like when Tony Romo moved off of the the grid and went into the booth. Just he delivered... One, the chemistry, the chemistry obviously with Crofty, it's not something that's going to develop overnight and it's going to have to build if this is something that Nico wants to do because I think calling races full-time is a big commitment. I don't think there's any significant money in it for Nico. But I liked obviously his insights. I love the fact that he was able to 
criticize the drivers in a way that I think some of these other folks can't because they don't have the experience of competing in a Grand Prix or driving a Formula One car like Crofty and, and some of these other folks. But I loved his insights and some of them as well. Like I'm just making a note here, uh, very candid, picked lots of small things. Uh, he made a really great observation about Hamilton when Hamilton switched tires and he spoke to the fact that, look, Hamilton can't go all out on these tires for the first two laps because if he does, he's going to activate the compound too early and they're going to wear down much quicker than they would. He's going to go and he's going to run them fairly slow for the first two laps, keep them within 5 to 10% of the peak operating temperature because then he's going to get 20 ultra-aggressive laps out of them. And like, that's an unbelievable insight that we would mm-hmm. never get from somebody who hasn't competed in a Formula One car. And even some of the analysts that we hear from, they may have competed at Formula One. They've never raced a V6 turbo hybrid. They've never raced on Pirelli tires. They've never raced on anything that that is relatively close to these compounds. So, you know, by the end of the weekend, I was, I'm a bit of a Nico convert to be totally (laughs) honest. I thought he did a stellar job and I I look forward to him being in the booth more just because the insights that he was able to deliver are unlike those that we typically get out of, out of that crew. You know, I, I must admit, I do enjoy Martin Brundle doing the commentary on the Sky Sports feed, but I've found that over the past year and a half or so, what with the things being changed up because of the, the travel and all those related things because of the pandemic, and sometimes that is affected who could be in the booth for different races alongside Crofty. I, I think that it's worked well, and I, I thought that uh, Nico uh, did a, a great job. Anyway, let's take a, another quick break, then uh, I know we both have to get going, so we'll wrap it up uh, quickly, but there's still a couple really good things we need to talk about, and we need to talk about Williams, because this Absolutely. was the breakthrough that I think that they really have been uh, craving, desiring, desperate for all these uh, number of years. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back. All right. Well, welcome back to the show, everyone. Mark and Mark breaking down today's very exciting and very eventful Hungarian Grand Prix. And as we start to slowly close things down here on what's been a busy weekend of our own, we still have a couple of things to talk about. And one of those, well, I mean, there's still several. Uh, uh, Valtteri Bottas has apologized to Total Wolf for what he called his small mistake, which obviously had big repercussions. Uh, Red Bull is afraid that they might lose an yet another Honda power unit as a result of that crash. Uh, and um, uh, Bottas, because of that, is going to be uh, slapped with a five-place grid penalty in Belgium, as will Lance Stroll. So <laughs> here we go. It's it's already happening. All the fallout from that, uh, that, that first lap... Um, Mayhem, I guess, is probably the best way to put it. But th- this is a- another feel-good story in and of itself. I mean, uh, obviously, uh, Akon winning the double, um, very good high points uh, finish for Alpine in Hungary, but also both the Williams cars coming home in the top 10 and uh, George Russell in tears after Williams scoring points today. And I thought it was great, too, because Nick was uh, right up there running a P3 after the restart. And I thought that it just really showed what a great teammate George Russell is. He was on uh, team radio saying, you know, pit me first, do whatever you need to do. If you have to compromise my race, go for it. As long as it helps uh, Nicholas and uh, and it gets him a good finish and it helps the team do what you need to do to keep him running as high as, uh, as, high as you can. That's basically what uh, he was saying. I thought it was a great story. I think it was great to see. I think the 
best part of all of this is we we probably all knew that George was going to have a breakthrough at some point of his own and he was going to get into the points. I think this is important for his confidence. I think the last thing he ever wanted was to leave this team after three full championships mm-hmm. and go to Mercedes without having scored a point. I don't I don't think that's I don't think that's the legacy he wanted to leave with this team, but the fact that he could have that breakthrough and score points despite the fact that qualifying wasn't great for Williams. They didn't look great in practice. For him to have that breakthrough simultaneously with his teammate is just a, a whole other mag order of magnitude in terms of feel-good story. I'm, I'm obviously ecstatic, and folks often accuse us of being homers for Red Bull one month and then Mercedes the next. For me, at the end of the day, if there's anyone that I'm emotionally invested in as a driver, it's Nicholas, it's Lance, they're Canadian kids, they're great kids. I totally get it. They come from really, really, really well-endowed financial <laughs> situations. I get it, but they're both good kids, and I wanted to see this so much for Nicholas. We obviously don't know what his future holds beyond the season. If it if it wraps up, which I, and I hope 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 it doesn't, at least he's going to be able to reflect back on his career, know that he finished with a P eight, possibly a P seven finish, depending on how the investigation into Vettel goes. But at the same time, for for Nicholas Latifi, this is also a good news story because as Williams starts to more closely investigate who their driver lineup will be for next year this is something that they can look to that ah mm-hmm. you know what given the opportunity to race at the front of the pack can he be consistent can he go an entire grand prix without making a mistake and these are things that i think he's shown but it's typically been at the back of the pack for him to put in a points finish and like you said run in a podium position for the first few laps after the restart i couldn't be more happy for nicholas and to your point about george russell as well when he came over the radio early in the race and he said look if you need to compromise my race to help Nikki do it prioritize Nikki like not only was that a great message but what do you think Lewis and the Mercedes team are thinking when they hear that like this kid is not only a top tier potential superstar talent although again we haven't necessarily seen or given him the opportunity to demonstrate that given the car he's been in but if you're Lewis and you're Mercedes and you hear that this kid seems to be the total package in terms of teamsmanship and team spirit and being there to support the team. I thought that was a fantastic message, but I think the best part of this isn't just that they had a breakthrough, but Mm -hmm. both of the drivers broke into the points. And I went back to look because I wanted to get a sense of the last time they had a double points finish. The last time Williams had two drivers uh, in the points at the same time was Malaysia in 2017. Felipe Massa finished P9 and Lance Stroll finished P8. And again, I don't want to get into it now. We'll talk about it in the spaces chat later this week and in the next few podcasts very disappointed with lance this weekend his run of performances recently has been extremely extremely poor Mm -hmm. i think there's a lot of work to do there um i don't want to be i don't want to get into that now because i want to stay on this kind of good good mood good vibes kind of storyline but ultimately incredible performance by williams this team something that they can significantly build on and i think it just reinforces that everything that they're doing in terms of of kind of the infrastructure of that team and from the reorg of the structure in terms of eliminating overlap and unifying the team with the factory and all those kind of things that they've been doing recently is showing some 
showing some payoff, some return on the investment that they've been making. Yeah, absolutely. I think the naysayers and the haters might say, well, you know, if it wasn't for all the chaos that eliminated or eliminated half dozen of the contenders that would have taken up those points uh, finishing uh, positions, then you guys would have been outside of the, 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 the points anyways, as you usually are. But on the flip side, I mean, we still restarted that race with what, 14, 15 cars, whatever it was. They yep. still had to fight for for all that. Sure. I mean, Nikki was in a good spot to, where he was to restart that race. But, you know, th- there was still, what, 69 laps or, or 67 laps to go, something, whatever it was, out of the full race distance. And I think that uh, it's, it's just good verification that what they're doing at Williams is going in the right direction. I, I think as a rule, their their cars are usually fairly reliable. I mean, it's obvious that they, yeah, they lack so a true. ton of pace. And uh, perhaps uh, today that uh, will really give them the, the, the shot in the arm that they really need that, um, yeah, okay, maybe we had a little bit of good luck uh, go our way, but we still had to, you know, 97% of that race to run and we still got both of the cars into the top 10. And I can totally understand why George was really emotional about that afterwards because i mean that has been something that has eluded him in that williams car several times over the past uh, couple of years he's come really close on a couple of uh, points a couple of races sebastian vettel saying after mugello last year that uh, he felt really bad for taking that last point away from uh, george russell i think fernando said it a couple of races ago and i mean that one off at sakir when uh, at the end of the year when he filled in for lewis when he had uh, covid i mean that was obviously a memorable race and one for the books, but it was um, it, it would have been expected in that car. And you can see that it would be so much more meaningful and so much more emotional for George being this with the team that he's been racing for for the past uh, two and a half years. And possibly, who knows, th- this might be one of the last races, if not the last race that uh, he races for them. Absolutely. If uh, they, they actually do get this uh, move done and he moves over to Mercedes, which has been long, long expected and uh, seems to be just a question of time more than anything else. And I couldn't help but uh, being a little bit uh, cynical again. You know, I know I'm I'm chill, Mark. You're excited, Mark, to all of our listeners, <laughs> to, to, to our community. You're also lead, I, Mark, by the way. That'll take to the grave, but you're also lead, Mark. The lead, Mark. Okay. <laughs> maybe I'm going to be cynical, Mark, today, because when you're saying, well, you know, maybe to Mercedes, maybe to Lewis, that you think, oh, this kid's a great uh, teammate. You know, look how selfless he is. I couldn't help but thinking, uh, you know, Lewis and Mercedes are going to think, hey, this is good-natured doormat. He's going to be the perfect replacement for Val- Valtteri Bottas, who's just going to say and do what we want, not get the way of Lewis Hamilton, just like Nico Rosberg did for all of those years. But who knows? It, it, but that, it, that's a great point. Yep. And I don't want to be super speculative, although that's kind of my specialty on the show. <laughs> but if if Mercedes had any plans to make that announcement during the summer break or yeah. goodness forbid do the actual or execute the actual move itself this this grand prix teed it up perfectly which was a, a brutal botas mistake at the beginning of the grand prix which knocks him out compromises all the points they would have taken there plus the cost plus the pr disaster mm-hmm. that this is following silverstone but also the fact that george russell puts in this stellar performance it it tees up it segues into that announcement perfectly and again i'm super confident it's going to happen i still don't believe they'd make the switch but if anything could have predicated or triggered that or help 
drive them towards that decision that maybe this would be it. But ultimately, it just makes Great the point. announcement for Mercedes that much easier, ultimately. Yeah, I, I couldn't help uh, but thinking the same thing as you were talking there. You, you know, you, you planted that seed in my mind that uh, may, maybe that was that incident that if Toto still was maybe sitting on the fence as to what to do, uh, come, you know, with, with George and, and Valtteri, maybe that is that one final maybe verification that he needs to, to, to finally make that decision one way or another. And uh, because... <laughs> Well, I mean, the big smash that uh, that George and Valtteri had at uh, Imola, notwithstanding, but maybe this was the one that, and I know that at this point they are leading both championships, but certainly by Valtteri knocking himself out of the race. And, uh, well, I mean, fortunately, he also damaged uh, Perez, knocking him out of the race and uh, you know compromising Max's race, but still... Mercedes were running at 50% strength. So sure, they've, um, they have a small lead in both championships now, but uh, Toto's going to see that as, as an opportunity lost, even though the incident that knocked out his two main rivals cost him, it was started by his own car, which ultimately didn't finish the race himself. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Mark, I, as we wrap it up uh, here, finally, uh, Lewis Hamilton said he's still uh, suffering from the after effects of COVID uh, that he had uh, last fall, and he was uh, was actually treated for a bout of fatigue and dizziness after his, uh, you know, that that real epic run to third place in Hungary this afternoon. This was, and I tweeted this out during the race, but I had this sense that by the end of the Grand Prix, by the time the checkered flag was waved, that Hamilton was going to be exhausted. And he was going to be exhausted because he literally had to fight through the entire field and then go 10 rounds with Fernando Alonso. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes for those of us that haven't spent an extensive amount of time in an open wheel Formula One car, I think there's this perception that you're sitting down and it's easy. You have to remember that one, the track conditions, as much as it seemed gloomy and it seemed a little bit cloudy and there was this perception that it was cool because it was wet to start the race, it was hot, it was 30 degrees at the track, it was 40 degrees at the track itself, on the, at the track surface temperature. Ultimately, he's in a car. He has to fight, 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 fight. There was no easy overtake here because of the way that this track is constructed and because of the widths in the corners. He had to fight. And driving a Formula One car is a physical battle at the best of times. And fortunately for Lewis, for much of the last seven years, he's been at the front. So it's been more a case of holding on to that lead and being consistent and not making mistakes. But ultimately, today he was in a position where he literally had to fight from the back of the pack to get up to the front to score this podium finish. So Mm -hmm. that alone would put him into a position where you're going to be physically exhausted, you're going to be drained, and you're going to be heavily dehydrated, which I think is exactly the case. But I think ultimately that what we learned afterwards was it wasn't necessarily just exhaustion and dehydration from the race itself, but rather he's still fighting this concept of or this idea of long COVID. So I think as all of our listeners know, and anyone watched the Grand Prix last year, he missed the second race in Bahrain last year because he was diagnosed with COVID. He sat at a race. He was able to come back for Abu Dhabi. But as he was suggesting after the race, the effects of COVID are still very, very, very much present. And that was something that became a reality for him as this Grand Prix wore on today. 
Yeah, no doubt uh, he'll be glad that uh, we've got a couple of weeks uh, coming up to to rest up because uh, that's certainly from the, all the stories that you hear out there. And you wouldn't necessarily think that uh, an elite athlete, like a Formula One driver, like Lewis Hamilton, would be a candidate for you know the, you know being a COVID long hauler. And and obviously he's uh, suffered less than than some other people that have become you know very ill during the course of the pandemic. But yeah, I mean Formula One is is grueling even on uh, you know you know, inverted commas, uh, you know, an easy afternoon. And I mean, when, when you're pushing hard on a physically demanding track and pushing to fight your way from the back of the grid, from the back of the race order, like he did this afternoon, that requires an extra dimension uh, of effort. So, uh, you know, we definitely cannot overlook the amount of work that uh, he put in this afternoon to get onto the podium was uh, really rather incredible. But yeah. Mark, I think this is a great place to, to, to park it, to bring it into to park for May for tonight. Uh, you know, uh, both but of us. we should tease Thursday. I, Let's tease I was Thursday. gonna do that. I was one. gonna throw it your okay. way. So, okay. so why don't uh, why don't you tell everybody what's coming up because uh, this is gonna be a good one. So as you alluded to earlier, we're going into the summer break, which means that Formula One shuts down for four weeks. And this is an unheard of concept. You don't necessarily see this in Indy. You don't see this in NASCAR. You certainly don't see it in the major professional North American sports leagues. Sometimes you'll shut down for an Olympic break in hockey and you'll sure, have all-star yeah. breaks and things like that. But Formula One shuts down for four weeks. And it just reflects how grueling this sport historically is from a management perspective, from a logistical perspective. So really, with the exception of the Aston Martin mechanic, who were going off to the FIA complex <laughs> to help prove that there's a liter of fuel in Sebastian Vettel's number five car, the sport shuts down for four weeks. But our commitment is that we want to ramp up some really great content. And the first piece of that content that's going to drop is coming this Thursday. A couple of weeks ago, we recorded our long-promised F1 2022 primer episode with Tim Haraney of Canada's TSN. That is the Canadian ESPN equivalent. We recorded a two-hour mega show where we start talking about what to expect next year, what the impact of the changes will be to the cars, the chassis, the aero, the 18-inch wheels. About a month ago, we solicited from you on Twitter, what type of things do you want us to talk about? What type of things are you most interested in learning? We did a great recording session with them a couple of weeks ago. We packaged up. That's going to drop on Thursday. We've got some other great stuff that's going to drop throughout the summer as well. So make sure you keep tuning in. We're going to have lots of mailbag content. We're going to have lots of Twitter shows. We are finalizing some details on a couple of other shows. We're going to lean into an individual who's going to help kind of walk us through the marketing and the kind of commercial side of Formula One, which we're super excited about. And then of course, once we get through the summer break, and I'm going to tease this as well, we get a monster monster triple header we go to spa which is obviously one of the best tracks on the circuit so august 29th we're back at the belgian grand prix at spa a week later we're at zandvoort for the first dutch grand prix in decades which i know you are ecstatic about so excited, and yeah. fans should be and then a week after that we're at monza so we have this monster triple header to kick off the end of august the beginning of september it's going to be awesome and the summer break is going to go by like crazy but one thing I would tease, and this is something we've seen over the past few years, is a lot of more 
instrumental logistical decision-making happens during the summer break. So we've alluded to this over the last couple of weeks. Don't be surprised if we hear some announcements regarding driver changes for next year. I think we would know what those probably would be. But ultimately, in the meantime, expect to see a really exciting podcast drop on Thursday. This one was a little bit choppy in terms of audio quality. We had some technical issues, which we tried desperately to overcome. So if this doesn't sound as polished as they normally do, and we take great pride in the production quality of our shows, apologies. Thursday, we'll be back in force, great quality. And then we've got some exciting content coming over the next few weeks. And we know that we could have kept talking about this this race, this Grand Prix, this weekend. We didn't even get into qualifying, but we could have talked about (laughs) this for hours. We are going to drop a Spaces chat this coming Thursday, which we've teased, 6.30 p.m. Pacific time. So if there's anything we missed, please join us in the Spaces chat. We always have some great conversation. But Mr. Uh, Mr. Daly, that's that's all I got. Anything you want to close this bad boy with? No, I was just going to say I'm looking forward to the one with Tim because uh, as a former race driver and an analyst, uh, he really brings an added dimension of, uh, of insight and knowledge and I'm uh, really looking forward to, to that. But that's all I've got. Uh, I know both you and I have uh, got to move on and do some other things this evening. So thank you one and all for sticking with us uh, over the, the, the past, well, the first half of the season. Looking forward to these next couple of shows coming uh, up and then uh, obviously looking forward to getting back to racing in a couple of weeks that's it from us thank you very much for listening thank you very much for watching if you want to get in touch easiest ways on twitter at scooter pardon me at scooter f1 pod and via email at scooter f1 pod at gmail.com had a great email from yarmo who is actually going off to monza we had a great email which we definitely will address in an upcoming show because he had a lot of questions about going to a Grand Prix for the first time which is which is great which is a great one that is always good to, to talk about to, you know, for, for anybody that's going to race and we'll, we'll do that coming up soon anyways that's a wrap have a great week everyone hope you enjoyed the race and we'll talk to you again soon bye for now